My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. All right, book 48, The Return. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't remember this one for good reasons, probably. <laughs> what do you think of it, Gray? Um, I, did, I didn't like it. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. it at all. I, I, I just, it's not as bad as 47 was, but mm. it's also not good. And it feels like a, um, a coda to 37, but the bad 37. Mm, yeah. I just Interesting. didn't like it. So most of it felt really pointless. And the treatment of Rachel wasn't as bad as in 37, but it still just felt really like... It was a little like 41 for me in the like, it's kind of a dream, sort of. Like, it's not really based in reality and nothing like real is happening plot-wise. Mm-hmm. I did think that some of the David stuff, like particularly at the end, was like valuable to vi- to visit, to revisit, to, to have in there. But other than that, like that, there was like a there were a few parts that I was like, yes, this is a good part, and the rest of the book was like annoying nonsense. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Ted? Well, so I think this book was terribly written, especially terribly plotted. Yes. I definitely would not delete it from canon. There are the things that it, I really like, like the last two to three chapters. Mm-hmm. And there are other elements of the book that I like. I feel, I feel like I really like what it was trying to do. Also, I think the last chapter is something that really stuck with me from my first time mm-hmm. reading through the <laughs> series. So I think that, that I found that powerful at the time. I don't know if I found the book annoying at the time. I probably did because it's super annoying. <laughs> But yeah. All right. So before we get into the the details, do you want to hear what happened in this book? Oh, man. I really don't, but go for it. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) Um, Rachel has a nightmare within a nightmare, wakes up, finds that Cryak is messing with her reality and has brought back David to torment her. Cryak asks Rachel if she will accept superpowers in return for killing Jake. Rachel says no. And Cryak leaves. David (laughs) is left. Rachel kills him. That That's would be not the, in the book, Ted. That would be the 60-second summary. That's but, um, not in the book. Did my book end a chapter short? Because that's not how I remember this ending. <laughs> we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll do a realer, a realer summary, though. So the book starts out with a three-chapter dream sequence in which the Animorphs are at the White House when the mm-hmm. Yurks attack it. And it breaks out into an all-out battle and Rachel goes grisly and she's you know, sort of like looking to challenge Jake for supremacy to be leader of the pack or something like that. And then she wakes up and she's like, oh gosh, well, you know, I I maybe have some feelings about how we should take this thing public and, but I don't, I definitely don't want to like take over Jake. And um, she is then talking to Marco and Tobias about whether or not they should go public. And Rachel is 
making the argument that they should and Tobias and Marco are like well I don't know and also Rachel you know you're kind of in this fight for the wrong reasons you know they're kind of like walking delicately around the elephant in the room which is that Rachel loves war and it's creeping the other animorphs out. So Rachel goes flying with Tobias and gets lured in by the red light blinking on top of a radio tower, foreshadowing, (laughs) and wakes up again. It was a dream within a dream. Oh, my God. And she then thinks, gosh, I have maybe some issues to work out around how I feel like other people in the group perceive me and maybe how my relationship with Jake goes. At the end of the dream within a dream, she also decides that Jake is turning everyone against her and she needs to attack and destroy Jake. Hmm. Okay. Or the dream outside the dream within a dream. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so she's like, I have maybe some issues to work on, uh, but hopefully I'm not that bad. And uh, Rachel's mom asks her to deal with a rat in the basement to kill it. And Rachel's like, mom, why do you always make me do dirty work around the house? Just like the animals always make me do the dirty work. And like rats remind me of David. And that was a bummer. And Rachel actually has some fairly sober reflections about how the Animorphs chose to not kill David, and that was a choice they made to make it easier on themselves and not necessarily... They they maybe said it was more merciful than killing David, but she thinks it was more about protecting them than protecting David. Um, So she goes to school, and she can't stand being in school. Um, She just doesn't want to pretend to be normal anymore. And in class, they're reading The Telltale Heart, and (laughs) Rachel starts hearing the sounds of rats in the walls of the school. And she's like, wow, that's really on the nose. But um, then she's like, she's having weird intrusive thoughts because she's like, wait, you know, this, I'm having having trouble distinguishing my bad dreams from reality. So she leaves school early and meets up with Cassie at the barn later. But when she gets to Cassie's, she sees Cassie get attacked by a swarm of rats and she starts morphing in order to fight the rats, but she gets attacked by a swarm herself. She decides to run and jump into a pond, uh, which she does, but the rats just like latch onto her and, you know, she stays underwater long enough to try and drown the rats, but then she gets pulled deeper and deeper into, um, unconsciousness and when she wakes up she is in a cage in a underground dungeon reminiscent of the set from the end of phantom of the opera and (laughs) there are a couple of no good nick teen boys um guarding her cage and lo and behold a white rat david appears and says haha i survived i won the rats on my island over to my side and we boarded a boat and came back to the mainland and i have told these you know my minions here that i will give them riches if they obey me and me and my super intelligent swarm of rats are back for revenge and we're going to find the bubonic plague and spread it among humanity so that we can rule and amazing Rachel is like, no, <laughs> no, this did, this is not like she's at first she's like a little afraid, but she's like, no, so, something's fishy here. So Rachel's like, uh, no, you didn't. And he's like, uh-huh, I did. And 
has his minions point guns at her and he's like and now i'm here for revenge you were the meanest to me rachel so i'm gonna make you morph rat and trap you as a rat forever and rachel's like i will not do this and he says okay but what if we plan to kill cassie if you won't and she's like no fine and she morphs rat Um, wait ted is cassie there cassie wasn't there right what do you mean well, when Rachel got to the to the like sewers or whatever, there was no Cassie, but there's Cassie now. Yes, there's Cassie now. Wow, this book I, I, like, is full that of miracles. <laughs> that didn't even register as a plot hole when I was <laughs> reading it, but I think I'd already given up. <laughs> anyway, it, despite Rachel being a rat now and David having like a countdown clock, and he's like, "Haha, I'm gonna trap you forever." She starts to realize that David's story doesn't make that much sense, and. She says, you know what, I don't think you, I don't think any of this stuff actually happened. This must be a dream. And at that point, Cryak and the Drode reveal themselves. They have been behind the whole thing. And Cryak has been altering Rachel's reality uh, in order to bring David back to torment her and encourage her to accept his offer, which is, Rachel, I will give you superpowers, turn you into Super Rachel, a being that is immensely strong, fueled by hate, and can basically transform her body in any way that she can imagine if you kill Jake. And Rachel's like, why would I do that? What, how should I trust you? And Cryak is like, no, no, no. I don't care what you do to the Yerks. I just want you to kill Jake. That's the deal. And Rachel's like, oh, you know, sacrifice Jake to end the war. But how can I really trust Cryak? And Cryak's like, no, you know, Elmist and I, we don't really care. Like, I just want Jake to die. And we want the Yurk invasion to be over. So, like, you should really just do this. I'll give you these powers and then then you're free. You'll be free to do whatever you want. What, um, what, if, what if she says no? And if she says no, she's going to be trapped as a rat. So... Mm. In the in a the illusion like uh, manner, Rachel is toggled between being Super Rachel and being Rat Rachel in order to show her the the temptation of absolute strength and the absolute weakness that she will be faced with if she doesn't agree with with Cryak. And Cryak is like, look, even better. You don't even have to go out and end the war yourself. I will bring Visser One to you, and. And the drode, I think, throws a pokeball, and Visser One <laughs> pops out of it. It's it's remarkable. It's like it actually is probably the most nineties thing that's ever happened. <laughs> and Visser One, One is like, what? And Cryak is like, yes, I am Cryak. You may have heard of me. I am real. And Visser One is like, I don't think so. <laughs> And Cryak is like, now you have to fight to the death with Super Rachel. And and Rachel's like, awesome, I'm going to kill Visser 1. This is going to be great. And so she's fighting Visser 1. Visser 1 morphs into some kind of like toxic blob and she morphs into something else. And there's a, I mean, there's so many plot holes in this section. I'm sure we'll get into it. But basically, at the end of the fight, Visser 1 is at Rachel's mercy. And she's, she's thinking, yeah, I... I should do this. I can sacrifice Jake. I'll kill Visser 1. I'll bring an end to all of the fighting. I can end the war. I can make it worth it. I'll be absolutely in the right. I get to decide what is right. And then she thinks, but what will that make me afterwards? If the war is won, what will I become? And that allows her to say, you know what? I will not betray the Animorphs. I am one of the good guys. And Cryk is like, ugh, fine, whatever, and leaves. So... Rachel is left behind in Rat Morph. The seconds are ticking down. David has been completely abandoned by Cryak, and that's kind of a bummer, but he can still talk. He's still off the island. He still has his minions. And he's like, 
okay, well, I guess you're going to be a rat, and then we can be rat buddies together. That's all that's left for us. And Rachel's like, there has to be a way out of this. So she, Rachel's like, you know, you don't have to work for David. And he's like, and the minions are like, well, he's hidden his stash of money. And, you know, we're somewhere where we can't find it. And then Rachel's like, okay, but I'm a rat, so I can find it. So why don't you work for me, and then I'll just give you all the money. And since David is such a brat, the minions turn on him immediately and let (laughs) Rachel out of the cage. And Rachel struggles to demorph because she's just hit the end of the two hours, but she accepts her own inner strength, which comes in part from hate uh, and anger, and finishes demorphing. And then um, the minions leave, I guess. Well, she morphs Grizzly. Right. She morphs Grizzly and chases off the minions and then goes to Cassie, who actually... At one point, Cassie turns into the Drode, but I think now Cassie actually he is there. real Cassie, yeah. Turns uh, out. And, and she says to Cassie, like, okay, well, you know, David's still a liability. I have to go after him. I'm going to bring him back to the island. And Cassie's like, that was so hard for you last time. I'm not sure you can do it again. And Rachel's like, yeah, you know what? I'm not sure I can do it again. So are you going to deal with David? And Cassie can't. And so Rachel chases David down through the sewers. And when she emerges from the sewers, she sees David in uh, this kind of like back alley. And he basically stops and turns around and says, Rachel, like, my life is terrible. I, I would rather die than go back to that island. Please kill me. And Rachel's like, no, you know, just like run away. Promise you won't tell anyone. And he's like, what are you talking about? I have nothing left. You know that you, you know that you have to do this. It would be like the merciful thing to do would be to kill me. And Rachel breaks down and cries, hoping that David will leave in the meantime, but he does not. And so the book ends with Rachel uh, at a crossroads deciding whether or not to kill David. The end. But but does she kill David? Yes, she kills David. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. All right. Up for debate. It's not up for debate. She definitely it's kills totally David. It's totally up for debate. I don't think she kills David. <gasps> this is great. I didn't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. I You'll have to decide because ways. Gray is wrong. Okay. Way. All right. Gray, let's hear your, your side of it. I think that one of Rachel's takeaways from this particular nonsense of a book Mm -hmm. is that taking a life in exchange for a benefit, it does not fall under her definition of good, which is why she does not, for example, murder Visser 1 in the fight to the death arena when she could so easily murder Visser 1 in the fight to the death arena. Mm -hmm. And also why she refuses to give Jake up in exchange for the war being over, which did we know Cryak could just snap his fingers and the war could be over? Because let's explore that possibility. I think Um, it's that she could end the war if she became Super Rachel. No, he says, I will make the Yerks go away. Oh, you're right. No, he does offer. Yeah. Like he tells Visser 1, if you win, Visser, Earth belongs to you. If my creature wins, you and your band of slugs will leave this planet immediately. Okay. Well, right. So at first he says, I'll make you super, super Rachel. And then he, she says no. So he sweetens the deal by summoning mm-hmm. Visser 1. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way it works. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah, sorry. So go on, Greg. So anyway, does offer that. I yeah. think that that's part of what she learns is she cannot exchange one life for any perceived benefit. And I think that will extend to her being unable or unwilling to murder David. 
despite the fact that it would, one, be the merciful thing to do, as David and Ted point out, but also that it will be the most beneficial to the long run for the Animorphs, because he does know. And, you know, the idea is that he could go and find a controller and tell that controller who the Animorphs are, where they live, whatever. And the fact that she has that breakdown at the end, which I think is a very reasonable reaction to what she's been going through, mm-hmm. is, for me, an indication that she is not still not willing to take David's life, uh, no matter what the benefit would be. Hmm. So, yeah, my reasoning, the reason why I have such a strong read on it is the part where this book turns around, like, well, I really like some of the Rachel David stuff. I even sort of like the Rachel Cryack stuff. I think Mm -hmm. the mashup of them is terrible. Mm -hmm. But the the bit where she sees that David has come back to haunt her and she she he basically throws the decision they made back in her face and she she thinks to herself like yeah that was a terrible thing we did and like if i could do it again i think killing him would have been the right thing to do both mm-hmm. from like a can you imagine how bad his life was on that rock sense and also like a here he is coming back to haunt us sense mm-hmm. so she in the middle of the book decides that if she was ever in that situation again, she would kill David. So the question is like, what has changed? Has anything changed for her by the end of the book? I think when she stops herself from killing Visser 1, the thing that stops her is what people would think of her when they heard what happened afterward. Mm -hmm. She thinks, and she says like, I wouldn't be like... I'm I'm being super Rachel and deciding everything and like winning the war single-handedly and being this monster. People are going to look at me and see a monster. And at the end of the book, she comes to terms with her place on the Animorphs, which is she's the one who's willing to do the dirty work to get the bad results. But she's a good guy because she works for the good guys. She works with the other Animorphs. Like mm. she's part of that team. And so when she talks to Cassie, she's like, we need to deal with David because he's a loose end. I need to be willing to do what needs to be done. She she goes to chase him with the intent of, I think, killing him because mm-hmm. she doesn't think she's going to be able to put him back on the island. So the, the cleaner thing to do is to kill him, right? Then she gets to him at the end and he surrenders, which is obviously a terrible thing for her to have to deal with because instead mm-hmm. of Rachel wants to decide things in the heat of the moment and she's fine with killing killing people in the heat of the moment, right? So if she mm-hmm. chases down David and like smashes him into the floor, it'll be over in one second. So David sitting there asking her to kill him is like the worst thing possible because she has to actually think about it. Mm-hmm. But she starts to think like, it's just us, right? There's no Cryak or Elemist. There's no other Animorphs. There's nobody who will know what happens here except me and David. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that means she will do what she thinks the right thing is, which is to kill him. And she will never have to face the consequences of having to look someone else in the face and know that they know that she killed David Mm -hmm. because no one will know. So I don't see that Rachel has changed her mind that killing David is the right thing to do, even though she understands the cost of making that decision and keeping it a secret from the rest of the team. So I agree with some of that. You say that she hasn't changed her mind that killing David is the right thing. So the last two lines of the book are a girl who wanted to do the right thing, but who had no idea at all what that was, which does call into question. Like David keeps saying, like she keeps saying, I'm one of the good guys. And David says, then do the right thing several times, meaning kill me. I'm asking for mercy. Please kill me. And Rachel is not convinced that that is the right thing. And I'm really torn on this. I feel like 
there is no good reason not to show us what happened here. I wonder if the reason is that they felt like they couldn't show David begging for her to kill him and her actually doing it. Like, maybe this was like a hard limit from Scholastic. I mean, he's a rat, but he's also like a fellow teen who they trapped as a rat, and now Rachel's going to kill him in cold blood. Like, I wonder if that's why it cut off. Either that or it's just a completely, like, wimpy choice on the part of the authors to, like, to not show us this. Like, it's one thing to, like, leave a little bit ambiguous, like, someone burned down Finestri's house. Like, that's such a different level of... Like, you know, Jake's like, maybe it was me. And that's, that's like so different than Rachel sitting here with this incredibly weighty decision and then not deciding. It's worse than 41, where it's a dream decision. 41 isn't even a real decision and they don't tell us what happens. And this is like an actually incredibly important decision for the war, for Rachel's character, for like the ethical stance of the books. Like, and it doesn't show it. I'm talking myself around to Ted's point of view because I feel like the only reason not to show it is if she killed him. I mean, maybe. I, I think it really is just a wimp out. Like, maybe they didn't know which decision would have been better. And mm -hmm. so rather than choosing one, they were just kind of like, I don't know, choose your own adventure. Um, <laughs> because I can't understand why. Do you think it's the same sort of thing where they're like, this moral question is complicated. We're not going to arrive at a, like, a concrete solution. That's pretty different than like not actually showing us the decision the character made, though. Yeah. And I mean, I think to some extent, so I am happy that this is a ghostwriter and not Apple Grant. And I am looking mm -hmm. forward to them coming back, mm -hmm. in part because I think this felt like a ghostwriter ending like somebody who was given a certain amount of responsibility, but not enough authority to actually make those decisions for the characters. Mm -hmm. And therefore kind of, as you say, like whipped out a little bit at the end. Don't they get outlines though? Like the outline has to include the ending. Like does Rachel kill David or not? Like that's such an important part of the outline. I don't know me. I mean, I I, I also think it's just them being wimpy. I, mm -hmm. I would totally buy the idea that they feel like they can't have Rachel kill someone in cold blood. And that is the reading. Like, I don't know. I, I think just like that was my takeaway at the time. I know it's ambiguously written and like mm -hmm. it's a super frustrating way to, to end it. But it's, it's so strongly baked into my idea of who Rachel is. That oh, this is that what, th this, is what she, this is what she does when he comes okay. back. And so like, it's hard for me maybe to ground that in just this book or even for it to be totally rational. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. but like, I like Rachel's character better if she chooses to kill David. Mm -hmm. I think that, that that's a better, that's a better turn. And that's a better reason to bring David back. Because we talked at the time a lot about how they should have just killed him. Like, yeah. don't torture him. Like, that's that's way worse. Yeah. So yeah. like Cruel and unusual punishment. It, the idea that Rachel's like, am I really going to do that again? No. What she's learned over the, the course of the war is that she has to do, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. it may be better to do bad stuff like this sometimes. So just, I want to really fast continue the idea of Ghostwriter versus Apple Grant. Just to say that I'm glad Apple Grant is coming back for the end of the series mm -hmm. because I would worry that the fact that they're facing these really difficult decisions with no, as far as I can tell, no real sense of what that's going to look like. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I do not know how this war ends. And mm -hmm. I have faith that Apple Grant do know how this war ends. <laughs> I do not have faith that the ghostwriters do. And yeah. had this been an Apple Grant book, I think I would be even more worried that the mm -hmm. ending would be just a kind of like, 
something happened. Then like, we went into our <clears throat> final battle. Yeah, <laughs> right? Like something truly dreadful. So that is a, a worry that I think, I hope Apple Grant will relieve in the books when they return. Yeah. Ted, I, I really like your point about like this is a better reason to bring David back and says better things about Rachel's character. I really wish they'd let us see. They could have done it obliquely if they didn't want to completely show it, but I wish they'd let us see the way that that fit into her emotional and like thought process in this book. Because I feel like this book doesn't totally set her up for making that decision. I think it's trying to, and this is where, Ted, you were talking about it being badly written. I think it is definitely not a great execution of what sounds like was a very bad idea in the first place. <laughs> but yeah, this... <laughs> Even that's an understatement. <laughs> it's really bad. Oh, we'll talk about it. But yeah, this idea that she's trying to decide if she's one of the good guys and she's trying to decide what being one of the good guys means. And she comes to sort of this realization that she is one of the good guys because she's part of this, the group, the Animorphs, and like that's what defines it for her. But she has to do like their dirty work for them. And then, I mean, maybe then then that just what flows out of that is her actually doing it. It doesn't seem like she's that willing at the end, but I wish we had seen that as part of yeah. like the closure of that this book long arc yeah so much better i agree i agree i i just think so one thing that occurred to me that i think is slightly related is like the the fact that she is so it's so important to her to be a good guy it feels Mm -hmm. a lot like the that moment in harry potter when he like the thing that matters the most is that he chooses to be a gryffindor right he's like Mm -hmm. not slytherin not slytherin not slytherin right like yeah I, I feel like it's that same kind of thing that it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like Rachel is the most temptable. Cryak puts in a lot of work to make yeah. this plan happen. But the reason why you have to love Rachel so much is because mm-hmm. it like she, I guess, considers taking the offer. But I think it's in the way that like Tobias considers Taylor's offer mm. in 43. It's like I, I was never really worried that she would cave. Mm. Right. Like. And, like, I think even when she she gets the taste of all that power and she's about to kill Visser 1, it's, like, obviously she was close, but, like, this idea, she's, like, will I be one of the good guys if I do this, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I guess, I think that's why she kills David, right? Because, like, being the good guy in the, like, Cryak sense, right, she does not want to go to Cryak's side, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's where good versus evil is super clear. But in the David sense, when Cryak is out of the picture at the end... Being the good guy probably is killing him and never talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. never saying anything to anyone. Don't tell the other Animorphs that she had to do this. Like, Ooh. right? Like, what a burden to carry. I do kind of like that idea. It makes me like one tiny jot like the ambiguity of the ending better because, yeah, when you're faced with Cryak, it's really clear. And if it's more like this situation with David where it's like, mercy to counteract the terrible decision we made before versus you know not killing him which is you know it's it's just like a little bit muddier and like and no one will no one will know right like like being the good guy is overly simplistic so we don't get an ending i guess i don't know and like if if rachel if rachel got visser one alone at her mercy she would execute him a hundred percent Right, yeah, like if it part she of would, like a cry she would, right, she would end the war right there, right? Like, I don't I think, think it would end the war, but well, yeah. sh- sure, but like, I think that I think that what holds her back is at the end is just more like empathy, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, like she has to face what it means mm-hmm. to actually take a life, mm-hmm. and it's horrible. 
but that doesn't change that doesn't change that it's what she thinks the right it's is the right thing to do you think what holds her back with Visser one it is like empathy like makes her at least stall she's taken so many lives though i don't know if it's like suddenly she's facing it i think it's more realizing that this is like cryak's vision of things and at that, the very end or with Visser one with Visser one. Oh yeah i was talking about oh, the end. oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah, yes yeah. yes yes taking a life not in combat is yeah. like really different I do feel like we were talking a little bit about this book being poorly constructed. I feel like the thing where David stops and waits for her, like, I think if he wanted to die, he would find a different way. Find a cat. (laughs) Bridget is right there. She will help. I think there is possibly an argument for he wants to make Rachel do it as sort of a last punishment. That's not really the way he's acting. The way he's acting as a sort of like a, a plot you know, stooge. It's like, oh, we need Rachel to make this decision in the way that would be most painful for her. I know, David will just give himself up for her. And it didn't feel connected to his character. Like, it felt very staged. Yeah. Maybe that was Cryak, too. That's a good... That's actually a really good criticism. Yeah. Because, yeah, just, like, from his point of view, I could. he didn't taunt her at all. He didn't try to rub it in that she would be killing him. Like, I could see him doing it in that way, or I could see him going off and, like, trying to commit, like, suicide in some way. I'm sure he could figure out something. Like, he's he's resourceful. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't really add up as a character choice for him. I mean, his character arc in general was one of the things that I had an issue with in this book, because... Arc. Arc. <laughs> because arc in quotation marks. I mean, I think that's yeah. a big part of it. One of... The, you know, the things that we've brought up since 22, I guess, is mm-hmm. that what they did to David was appalling, truly, mm-hmm. truly appalling. And David talks about that. He's very frank and upfront about it and talks about his motivations and kind of why he was the way he was, but also as a bid for sympathy. So it's not overly sympathetic. It, it was a really interesting choice to have David come back and be still David, kind of defending those terrible choices and kind of how much of an asshole he was. But then it turns out that he's just a puppet, but like kind of, but he still did some of the things and like how much of it was Cryak pulling the strings and how much of it was Cryak taking advantage of David's initiative. And then at the end, he's like, I see the sunlight and I realize that actually all of these choices were terrible. Please kill me. And I was like, excuse you. Like, when? When did that happen? Like, it, it took place in the in the course of, like, running up a pipe, and then it's like, surprise, new personality. Why? That's such a great point. What? It's also to make it extra bad for Rachel, right? Like, if she has to kill David when he's acting like a decent person, that's so much harder. But, like, of course, he wouldn't act like a decent person there. He's not a decent person. Being a rat has not improved him. No. Serving Cryak has not improved him. It's completely out of character. I totally agree. David's characterization turns on a dime. And I have a note where he comes out and he's like, the world is so beautiful. (laughs) I'm like, how dare you (laughs) make David say something profound? (laughs) Um, But I, I I think, again, it's because it's poorly written. Um, yeah. and, and perhaps doesn't have the sense of who David was outside of this book. But I'll try and defend the David arc a little bit. Like, I love that you have, like, monomaniacal David, who's like, I have this brilliant plan. I am the leader that I swore I would be. I'm going to kill all humans. And there's this really horrifying little bit of mania where he, like, chases his own tail for a little bit. And you're yeah. like, whoa, like, what is going on with David? And then you find out Cryak has kind of, like, ushered in this, you know, David reality. 
And there's this little, I forget, I'm not going to be able to quote it, but there's a great interaction between David and Cryak where David's like, well, what about, like, I could do your bidding or whatever. And Cryak is like, no, no one cares about you. Like, go away. <laughs> right. And then, and then Cryak oh, no. just like, he tempts Rachel, it doesn't work and leaves. And David is like left with nothing. And Rachel sees through his bluster. And so like, then he acknowledges a little bit about how terrible it actually was. And so I think. Can't talk to rats. I think there is an argument to be made that, like, you know, David's his instinct is to flee, and then when he realizes that he's fleeing to nothing, it's not that he's going to be like, the world is beautiful, and the nice thing would be for you to kill me. It's, like, more of, like, a trauma response to, like, how can, like, this is, you know, I briefly had this temptation of power from Cryak, and now I'm realizing I'm, I'm going back to being a rat. And then I would oh, imagine yeah, a much more a much yeah. more desperate, like, no, kill me, kill me, like, like... Please, I, yeah, you know, I would, like I would very much buy that. I didn't right, like, read that, but or right. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, but so like, I think again, I'm I'm going, I'm I'm willing to I'm willing to try and imagine the plot that I wish was here, sure. and blame it on the writing and stuff, and like obviously on the outline, and like we haven't gotten to a lot of the things that are that like don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But I guess here's here's like my thing on it is. The idea of an epilogue to the David saga from Rachel's point of view is really, really great. And I think really important for her character. And I think all of the ways that she grapples with her addiction to the fight and how she fits in with the team, even some of the like Jake leadery stuff, which we haven't gotten into, like it all kind of like clicks together. Mm -hmm. And having David back is a really good device for doing that. The problem is these books... To, you could do that with any old plot and a lot of interiority, mm-hmm. but yep. because this is a middle grade science fiction book, you need to actually have David come back, and then you have to imagine plot shenanigans that make that happen. Yeah, and so and then they are also trying to cram in the resolution of this cryac thing with Rachel. And so what you get is this, like, none of the actual plot is compelling in any way. Right. So even if, it's, way. even if it's justifying these interesting emotional beats, because it's not grounded in something at all plausible or even that interesting, yeah. mm-hmm. it, like, really robs me of the, the, yeah. the power of the emotional moment that I want there to be. It's mm-hmm. such a missed opportunity. Like, it's completely plausible that David comes back. I can imagine maybe a boat does visit that island. David gets on the boat, comes back. He can thought speak. He could find human followers without Cryak's help. Or he could at least find humans to inform to. He could. There could have been horrible repercussions for the Animorphs because of this. Instead, Cryak, like, makes Rachel have, like, weird hallucinations. Like, it's it's so pointless yeah and it really robs the series of like the animorphs made a bad decision with david Mm -hmm. making him an animorph but also not killing him and taking this other route both because it was very cruel and because it left this loose end that like this person who has a human mind despite being in a rat body and wants revenge on them Mm -hmm. there was so much potential there and they completely squandered it on cryak dreams right well and i I think the fact that it's a cryak dream is one of the things that made it so much less impactful because it meant that for that entire last section, I kept expecting her to wake up again. (laughs) And it was never actually clear to me which parts of it were dreams and which parts of it weren't. And the going back and forth between the 
cryac death stuff and now you're in a box and you're a rat and now you're a super Rachel and now you're a rat. Like it just, it made the whole thing feel like a, like more of her nightmares. It didn't have any stakes. It felt fake. Yeah. And yeah. I, I just, I do think it was a squandered opportunity because the David plot was, was so, so well done. Well done. And to yeah. have an epilogue that didn't take that opportunity is very disappointing. Mm -hmm. And they really faced up in 22. I mean, they didn't have him kill David, but they showed us like in excruciating detail, him being knockleted, like Rachel taking him to the island. Like mm -hmm. that was one of the grimmest moments of the series. And then just completely whips out on his return. Yeah. The end of that book is kids at my school say they hear screams coming from that island. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it doesn't get yeah. any worse. This is such a drop-off. So despite the fact that I think this is poorly written overall, read in isolation, Rachel's reflections on David, some of their dialogue where he throws the, the choice in her face, mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff about Rachel and Cassie is super interesting. How, like, Definitely. We, we can talk about that more later. There are a lot of individually compelling moments mm -hmm. if you ignore the plot. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I, this is my mate. Like, the plot is genuinely atrocious. <laughs> yeah. To get to these interesting moments. Do we want to just complain for a little? Do you want to talk? Oh, please. I want to complain. <laughs> I, want to, I want Jenny's complaints about this book and its structure and all of the things that make it so bad because I love a well-informed rant. So I started this book and I was like, they're at the White House. Okay. Weird. Wait, what? And I, I was like making all these notes. I was like, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. Why would the Yurks attack the White House openly? They would just infest the president. Like, they probably already have. It's a great plan. They should do that. And then there was like all this stuff where Rachel's fighting Horpajir and the other Animorphs come and Marco like pulls her off of them. And Jake and Cassie like rough the Horpajir up a little bit. And I was like, this is infuriating. Like, a, she was fine. They're like, you're injured. But no, she like goes and kills a ton of, ta ton of Texans after. So I was like, she wasn't that injured. And like, B, like killing Horkwajir, they do it all the time. Why are they suddenly acting like it's horrible that Rachel is killing in battle? I mean, it is horrible that they have to kill Horkwajir in battle, but they never treat it that way. And I hate it when they're arbitrary with stuff like that to like prove a psychological point against Rachel, which is what they did in the Terrible 37. Mm -hmm. So I was like super mad about that. And then it turned out to be a dream. And I was like, oh, you're kidding. I had all these rants. Okay, fine. And then I read the next sequence. And I was like, wait, what? But Rachel still wants to take over from Jake as leader? No, what is this? What? Oh, my gosh, it's another dream. It was just, it was so infuriating. And it was psychological stuff from Rachel that wasn't even rooted in Rachel. Like, she wakes up and is like, I don't even want to be leader. Like, I I tried that. I mean, we voted that out of canon. But still, she's like, I tried that. I didn't like it. Like, I don't want to be in charge. These dreams are weird. And I feel like it could have gone somewhere okay from that. If it turned out Cryak was giving her these dreams and she has to, like, sort through as part of some better plot, like, the difference between these dreams and reality. But no, it just stays in this dream space where, like, I guess she's awake, but like these things keep happening that are clearly like not actual reality. Like she jumps into a pond, gets pulled down further, and then wakes up in a glass box in the sewers. Like that's not real. Like 
clearly not real. Like it was, it was so trippy that you couldn't take anything seriously. Even when she, she and Craig's like, you'll get stuck as a rat. And I was like, is she even still a rat? You turned her into super Rachel and then you turned her back. Like, let's not even get started on the thing where, why the heck did she just demorph? Thank she you. Why are you human, so rat? You're in a human sized <laughs> box. They made her morph rat, which, okay, that's rough, but she has space to demorph. They didn't make the box any smaller. No, and she was there to save Rachel, or to save Cassie. But Cassie's not there anymore. Now Cassie's the drone. Morph back to human. What is wrong with this? Why yeah, I know, seriously. I Like, it would even have been better if they were like, if she tried to morph back, but because she couldn't arrange her body. Because when she was in the cube, she was like crouched and had her arms pulled in and her head bent down. So maybe she could have tried to morph back, but because she couldn't control how her body emerged, she couldn't get into that position. That would have like made that a little more okay. I guess. But I they didn't even do that. Wouldn't have, I still would have been mad about it. Maybe not as mad, but I was yeah. like, I do not understand this plot point. I don't. They I could have just made the, the box smaller, but they did not. No. Like, they could have like inserted a divider in the box and she's like, oh crap. But like, oh, it's Rachel. She would 100% have tried to morph back. And, like, maybe failed. Maybe something would have gone wrong there. But, like, that doesn't make any sense that she wouldn't work back. But that is, like, a thing that should have been, that should have made sense and didn't. But there were all sorts of things that, like, were just not supposed to make any sense in this book. And, like, it's just impossible to take anything seriously when the things that happening that are happening aren't real and don't hang together. Like, once you lose that sense of reality while you're reading, like, that's the thing where, like, suddenly you'll read the character doing something and you're like, the character wouldn't do that, and you, like, disconnect. Mm-hmm. And that was just this entire plot. It was, oh, this isn't how reality works. Okay, it's not even supposed to be how reality works in this book. It's, like, Craig manipulating things. Okay, then what the heck do I care about any of this? Yep. Right. Ugh. It was I, so obnoxious. I also thought there's a lot of um, repetition of phrases and, hmm. like, she's, like, listening to things that David said to her in 22 or Jake said to her oh, in yeah, 21 they're really mining their good lines. 27, the, you know, <laughs> like, Salvation hmm. in the Office of Cryak, you know, mm-hmm. like, all this different stuff. And to me, that is just, like, really bad writing to fill space. Like, it's like, she keeps, re- like, repeating these lines mantra-like to herself, but they don't further her psychological development. It's yeah, sort of like play off it's like really. really weak suspense, right? It's like, oh, these are these are the things that I'm juggling. Like it served I, to remind me how good those earlier books were, and like clearly they didn't have anything good to present now. So that it's like Disney like strip mining their old classics and making them as like live action movies where they're yeah. like, I don't know, we probably can't make anything that good now, so we'll just remake the old ones, but not as good. And like, this is it also really specifically. I'll probably cut this. It really specifically reminds me of the fourth Game of Thrones book, which is the one that's like notoriously slow that people mm. fans didn't really like. And just like a lot of the characters just like are going through this inner turmoil and like reflecting on like, this is a thing somebody said to me once and I'm just going to keep thinking about it and repeating it to myself over and over and <laughs> oh, over again. No. And I think that's a very good analogy because just like in that book, the interiority is not there so it's yeah. like, I'm just going to think about this. I'm not actually going to reflect on it or use it to further my character or my opinions at all. I'm just going to repeat that this person said this to me and then I thought about it. And it's like, that's not how, that's not how it works. Like, if you, if, if a character... Why bother showing us Yeah, this? then why are we having this conversation if it's not going to change your thoughts? You're just going to sit there and think about it. Great, but that is really fucking boring. 
Yeah. And this didn't, like, this didn't, there was so much plot this could have had and didn't. Yeah. I, Ted already said this, but like they could have had these reflections happen in the middle of an actual Animorphs plot where there were stakes. And also, I'm pretty sure Cassie is the only other Animorph who appears in this book. Correct. Yeah. In, I think for real? Oh, she sees Tobias, no, but she the... doesn't interact with him. Tobias is there when she takes out the trash. Oh, you're right. But okay, so this is the first book we've had, I think, where like any, like where there's any Animorph who didn't appear, except for like Axe in books one through three. Right? Is that true? Did all, were all the Animorphs in 44? In the very beginning, yeah. Yes, and the end. They were all in 41. They had that battle at the beginning. Jake shows up in, in uh, Uncanon 37. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it would be possible to have a book where all the Animorphs aren't there and it's still a good book. We haven't seen it. I But I, I do think this was a... That's like... A manifestation of this thing where, like, this book didn't do anything. It wasn't. It didn't interact with any of the things they're doing. The war is escalating, and they wasted an entire book having Rachel have bad cryac dreams. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we talked. Oh, that's so frustrating. It's to me. Yeah. really frustrating. We talked before about um, books where one character drives a plot, and Cassie's had a couple of them, mm-hmm. and she's had like real plots. She's sort been, of real. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, but you know, in the ones that were just her. She's dealing with things and and doing it, you know, for better or worse. And I think what I found most frustrating about this book is that I really like Rachel as a character. She is one Mm. of my favorite Animorphs. And that is based very much on earlier books, on (laughs) very specific plot moments, and on our conversations, and is Mm -hmm. not based on these books. Like, as a series overall, Rachel gets totally shafted. And this book is a perfect example of it. Because mm-hmm. so much of what we see of Rachel in other people's books is their very superficial reflections of her motivations. And we don't get a sense of what her motivations really are, or we often don't see her reflecting on them. And the times when we do, they're so interesting and and moving and meaningful. And for this book to waste an opportunity to give us the insights that Real 37 by Jenny gave us (laughs) into Rachel and where she's coming from is so disappointing to me. And part of it is just that I want more to love Rachel. I I want more information about her. I want to know more about her and to see her grow and to see her come to accept herself and to understand where she, what her motivations are and to see what's going to happen in six books from now. And for this to just kind of be such a throwaway is, as you say, it's just very disappointing. So I feel like we haven't had a good Rachel book since 27. And I think I actually, so I, I liked 32-ish when I read it as a kid. Like, I think there were just parts of it. I, I liked the, the Rachel Bias stuff at the end. Yeah, the Starfish. <clears throat> so 27 was the first Drove book where yeah. they're yeah, with, yeah, the, with the, chi the Chi the Exposed, yeah. 32 is and Starfish. And 32 is the Starfish one. And Thank you, Ted. Thinking, thinking about it now. <laughs> Ted saw the look on my yeah. face where I was like, I know which one is which one is 32, and I have to do Sorry, math, Greg. and it's very difficult for me. Sorry, go on. Yeah, so... I kind of liked 32 when I read it as a kid. I don't know. I had different judgment at the time. And I liked the Rachel Tobias stuff a lot. 
And reading it this time, I was like, oof, no, okay. But now I actually think I have an even more negative view on it because Mm -hmm. I think that's when the Rachel characterization started to go really wrong. Like, I think they created this extreme version of Rachel, which, like, I mean, it didn't come out of totally nowhere. Like, they had been playing with this. Like, 27 was a great example of, like, playing really well with this idea of the darkness inside of her, which, like, emerged fully into her consciousness in 22. Like, she realized Jake sent her after David David to kill him, and, like, her processing that has been really interesting. And then in 32, they sort of were like, eh, I don't know, there's a monster inside of her. And they just, like, kind of, like, threw everything at the wall and were like, and came up with this extreme version of her that has influenced her characterization ever since. And it's like they don't know how, like, and 42 was weird because it just didn't touch on that at all. They're like, um, we don't know how to deal with Rachel now except maybe as a monster or maybe she doesn't have any personality. Or like like they created these really complex issues of like she's being tempted by the fight. This is a huge challenge for her. And then they completely failed to follow through on that in a way that was like subtle and real feeling and... I mean, like, rooted in a real personality rather than just, like, a caricature. Like, it just, like, got too hard for them. I don't know. Yeah. Or did they even know who the character was, right? Like, she comes across so clearly in the first half of the series. And then it's like, you know, is this who they thought Rachel was? Or is it it really, like... I mean, 32 wasn't ghostwritten, but it was rewritten very quickly because the draft they got was bad. Oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe they were like, ah, here's a fun idea. And then as a result, the extreme characterization of Rachel influenced the ghostwriters from then on. Like, ghostwriters didn't know what to do with her after that. Maybe because 32 made her feel like not a real person. And it's just like, yeah, falling apart. So the fascinating thing is, like, Rachel has a bunch of insecurities in this book that are kind of interesting, right? Like, the dream within a dream stuff, it just makes me roll my eyes. It's so frustrating. But the first dream has the, like, I want to beat Jake. It also has the, like, I'd rather die than lose. Jake's Mm. like, if you don't demorph, you'll die. And she's like, no, I want to fight, fight, fight. And like, Mm -hmm. to me, that's very interesting. Racial insecurity, like how, how, how in this is she and will she ever be able to to stop, right? The fact that Marco and Tobias are judging her for being into violence, right? Like, that's also like an interesting insecurity, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that we've actually seen the Animorphs worry about Rachel at all. Like that, the the moment that jumps out to me is when they're all dolphins and David's an orca and they, David like calls out about how Rachel's like the crazy one and none of the Animorphs defend her. Like that's the moment when Rachel gets this insecurity of like, oh, the other Animorphs think that I'm a bad person. But like, I feel like the other Animorphs haven't really been worrying about her in that way. With a couple of exceptions, I feel like the battle in Megamorphs 4 and the battle in 41, those brief snippets at the beginning when we see these really, really awful, horrible battles. Um, There's the bit where Rachel almost dies and Marco saves her and Jake makes the call to like retreat, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's very much Rachel like going over the line and needing to be restrained. But like we don't get anything about what's going on in her head or what caused that. Or like, we don't even really see the characters reflect on Rachel specifically outside of those two little battle vignettes. And so like, even if I'm giving the benefit of the doubt to the emotional Rachel in this book, 
her insecurities are based on things that happened like 20 books ago. It's <laughs> like there really is no meaningful arc of like, you know, moments that change her the way that there is, especially for Marco, Tobias, Cassie, Axe, mm. like maybe Jake to a lesser extent, but like all of the other Animorphs have like real signpost events. Rachel doesn't since David. And I, feel I guess like, since the drone. Oh, yeah. I feel like the extreme like rage and violence that we saw in 41 and Megamorphs 4 was in the context of this battle is incredibly hard on all the Animorphs. They're all close to losing it in certain, in like different ways. And that's how Rachel lose, like, would, yeah. would overcompensate. So this, yeah. this idea, I mean, I could see maybe in her mind, like singling herself out because we're all more worried about like how we appear to others than how others appear to us. But it is this in the context of like the war getting way worse. And so it's really, I don't know, cheap, weird, like unsatisfying to have it taken out of that context. And in this specific book where, in, in this book where like, it's just Rachel being tempted by Cryak. Oh no, Rachel might be a bad guy. Like not in the context of the war escalating, which would, could have been such a better book if we'd seen some escalation of the war. And that was what was tempting Rachel, not like this like devil ex machina figure like and yeah that's that's also so we get this characterization of her where she's like yeah you know i think we should go public with the war effort but jake and marco don't really agree and like why couldn't this book have been about that it could have been about (laughs) right because like that's the thing that especially in the context of this like final 10 books we're seeing how all the animorphs like are responding to the change in dynamics and this is this is just digging up the past Right, like, yeah. which I like, but like that could have been could have five been books ago. Yeah, too. Right, like, and then but like, then we wouldn't have gotten the Return of the Helmicrons. No, we wouldn't have gotten to check it off on our. Yeah, yeah, card. yeah. No, but you, you know what I'm saying. Yes, like, I do know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're huge missed opportunities. Weird out of context book. Like, it's so, I don't know. I'm just saying the things we've said before. I'm just so, so annoyed they pinned this on that on out. that point though. I would like to. So can we talk about the Jake the Jake leadery thing? Yeah. Yeah. Jake who is not in this book. Yes. Yeah. So what did you guys think of this whole Rachel wants to be the leader thing? Rachel like, doesn't want to be the leader. We have already talked about this. We have had this plot. We talked about this plot. They solved it. I solved it. I'm done talking about this. Yeah. I actually I think it's true that Rachel doesn't want to be the leader. Like when she wakes up, it might still have been in a dream. But she's like, yeah, I don't want to be the leader. It's weird that I keep dreaming about this. And yes, it's it clear is. That Cryak is giving her these dreams. Like Cryak is putting this thing into her dreams, where suddenly she like gets filled with rage and wants to destroy Jake. He's trying to plant in her the idea that she wants to destroy Jake. She doesn't want to destroy Jake. She doesn't want to be making the decisions for this like defense. She wants to be following Jake. Like maybe she doesn't always agree with his decisions, but like I don't think that's actually part of her character that she wants to overthrow Jake. No, and she has identified that. Like, again, we had this plot already. She thought about it. She had the arc where she kind of realized that her strength is not in leadership necessarily. And, like, the fact that that's the part of it that we're rehashing and then the David stuff, Mm. which, like, is actually psychologically interesting, is so, ends up being kind of passed over, was, like, part of the thing that frustrated me about this book. Yeah, and the thing where Cryak is like, you know, kill Jake and you can have all this power. And Rachel's like, what? No. He's like, you could end the invasion. And she's like, oh, wait, okay. Sacrificing one person to save the world from the Yerks. Like, 
that, I mean, it was clear she was never going to take up on it, take him up on it. But like, I do a little bit like this thing where the thing that tempts her is like being able to stop the Yerks and save the world. Like, that's actually like a good motivation, yeah. which is part of Rachel's motivation. Like, I like that piece of it. Like, that that was what was tempting to I, her. I also, when she first gets the Super Rachel powers, she's like, oh, yes, like this Phenomenal is... Phenomenal cosmic power. Right, this is everything. And part of what's tempting about the offer to be Super Rachel is she's like, oh, I'll be so powerful and, like, so certain of my own convictions that, like, I can make what I think is right happen. And to mm. me, that's that's so the yeah, Rachel that we've like always that. seen as, like, I know what's right and wrong right away, and it's really hard for me to change my mind, right? So, like, of course, and Rachel, not take Rachel plus power equals bad, 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 because she has no ability to take a step back and consider <laughs> that her instincts may be wrong, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, yeah, I like that beat just in, in the context of complete and utter nonsense. I love that point that like Rachel plus power equals bad. She, I mean, she has so much power with the morphing, but she has the others to yeah. counterbalance her. And we've talked before about like people outsourcing their consciences and stuff like to Cassie and, you know, and the ways in which the Animorphs act as an ecosystem. And she yeah. says when she's realizing like near the end of this book, Rachel's like, I'm a good guy because I am fighting alongside the good guys. Mm -hmm. And you could read that as like a, okay, so just like definitionally, did I pronounce that right now? Yes, you did. (laughs) Definitionally. I'm a good guy because I'm fighting alongside the good guys, therefore I must be a good guy. But you could also interpret it as, I'm a good guy because they make me good. Like they complete me in a way, like they keep me from like going off the rails and they're the ones who make sure that I fight for good and not just for power or, you know, for impulse. That's how I I read it. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a fairly accurate like Mm -hmm. summation of Rachel. Like she, at least the way she has developed in this band of six, she needs the others in order to keep her in balance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's been one of the themes is that they balance one another. Mm-hmm. And we see different pairings, right? Different different combinations balance each other in different ways. Jake and Rachel, Cassie and Rachel, Marco and Rachel, Tobias and Rachel. And then the same mm-hmm. thing for the other groups, right? So mm-hmm. they, the fact that they have one another is one of the things that makes them strong as a band, but as individuals, because they, we all grow and learn from our communities, mm-hmm. especially at that age. I mean, you know, we, we see there are all sorts of studies that show your peer group has as much or more influence on you as your parents, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think this is a, these books are a really wonderful example of that, that they are the ones at the moment, at this moment in their lives, they are each other's strongest influence. And that's, as it should be, that's fine. And to take that away in the way that this book kind of does, I think undermines what we've seen of this group and, and how good they are as a team. Yeah, I I mean, when Ted and I were plotting out the our version of 37, we talked about this idea of Rachel or like the group finally killing in cold blood. And it was really important to us that it be a decision or like an action that they can actually take all together. Mm. And it's really a bummer. And I wish like more had been made out of this, that when Rachel has to face this decision at the end about David, she has to face it alone. Mm -hmm. It's unclear. Like, I mean, we should, let's talk about the thing with Cassie. Cause like, 
it is in part like she's taking that decision so the others don't have to. But it, I wish that they had been able to make that decision alone and grow as a group in response to David's return. Yeah, because Rachel is still now the only one who's dealing with the ramifications of the decision that they made as a team. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, she is the one, and she says kind of begrudgingly, it seemed a little bit like Axe stuck around with her. But for the most part, <laughs> it was her dealing with David's pleas and cries and and mm-hmm. torment as he was being not mm-hmm. let in. And she had to deal with that to a large part by herself. And she's still now the only one dealing with these ramifications. And that feels so unfair and mm-hmm. unnecessary when they all made the decision. It was Cassie's idea. Rachel carried it out, but they all made the decision. And yeah. they, she should not have to be the only one who is continuing to take on that burden. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right, Gray. And I think it's interesting, Jenny. I think the thing that we plotted is like maybe giving the Animorphs more emotional maturity than they have in canon. <laughs> and I think <laughs> it's really interesting. True. I think it's really interesting that like I, my gut says that if Cassie had to kill David, she would not recover from it. Mm, right. And mm. like, and like, maybe that's true of some of the others too. Like, like, I think also she just wouldn't do it. Well, you oh, know yeah, what I'm, I'm saying? Not, but like, yeah, if she had yeah, to yeah. sign off on it, if she had uh-huh. to, like, right, like, I think the, the point was, I think it's true that they condemned David to be a Nothlet on Rat Island to spare themselves. And yes. maybe at this yeah. point, at the end of the series, they're ready to face up to that. And like, it would have been it's interesting to that see Rachel them. Does. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. But I, I think that there's also something to that idea that even at this point, part of how Rachel sees her role in the group is she's the person who did what had to be done in book 22 to spare the others. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I think it's a valid choice that that dynamic still exists rather than that they're all able to do yeah. hard things that like it's it's part it's part of Rachel's strength that she can do the things that are absolutely the hardest yeah. when they're pushed into a corner. So like I kind of like that she's still protecting Cassie at the end. I also really love that David has this whole thing where he's like, I wouldn't have picked you, Rachel, because you're the worst. I would have picked Cassie because she was nice to me. And Rachel is like, oh, man, he doesn't know who masterminded this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Cassie came up with a plan to trap him. And Rachel never tells David about Cassie. Oh, right. Yeah, that's she true. she she takes that she secret with her. The, right. The, She's the, incredibly the, loyal. Right. The entire time. Right. And like she doesn't. She could have done it even to hurt David, and she doesn't do it. Right. Like mm-hmm. I don't even know if they realized how what a good character beat that is for Rachel mm-hmm. because like it, mm-hmm. they don't really emphasize it the way a lot of stuff is overemphasized in yeah, this book. Yeah. But it's really awesome. It does make sense to me that you know Rachel, especially at this this time when they're having to make so many difficult decisions and do so many difficult things, it's kind of like great that Rachel can take this decision and not put it at everyone's feet. I do feel like I would have liked that better in a book where we got to see the other characters and see the group dynamic where it wasn't just Rachel and Kayak space, like with maybe Cassie, maybe Drode. Oh yeah. So can I return to the the leadership thing? Were you gonna oh, finish? Yeah. No. I mean, that's that was pretty much my whole yeah. point. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But yeah. um, yeah. So the leadership theme. It's like it really is. It really is weakly done, and it's like a caricature. Like this competitiveness with Jake is is wacky. It should not. 
it just is not real to the character. This is why 37 was like so, so, so bad. Mm-hmm. And even if you imagine that exists, you should have dealt with it. But, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. I don't understand yeah. where it's coming from. But I do actually like, there's again, a, like a pretty generous interpretation of this that I think works well, which is why would she be competitive with Jake again? It kind of makes sense in the context of they have a real disagreement about how to proceed with the oh, war. Yeah. Jake is making the call. We're going to stay silent. We're going to stay silent. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go big. And Rachel's like, no, this is, I know that this is the moment to go big. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, I would have loved a whole plot built that around that great. conflict where Jake and Rachel come to a head over this kind of thing. And if, if Rachel mm-hmm. is tempted not to kill Jake because the evil God said to kill Jake, yeah. but to, she has a reporter father. Right. Over Overrule him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my. There's so many things that could be good. <laughs> but the amazing thing is we have seen Marco betray the Animorphs by mm-hmm. saving his father and then telling him everything. Axe betray the Animorphs by knocking Jake out and threatening to blow up their city. Then Jake betray the Animorphs by getting a bunch of campers killed for no reason in a, in a book that was terrible, but also like... You know, he he did something that was bad for the group. Here, Rachel is utterly, completely loyal, right? Like, <laughs> she is tempted with ultimate godlike power, and she turns it down because she's actually, like, a great person, right? Like, And, yeah. like, I think that's totally fitting. I just uh-huh. wish that it was actually connected to something that was, like, more real, where yeah. she was, like, it would have been awesome to have a book where Rachel is proved right that going public about something would have done something better, but... She chose to follow orders because that's her role in the group, right? Like, that, that would have been, been super so interesting, great. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm now wondering, just hearing myself explain this, we got Marco, Axe, and Jake, like, going rogue or whatever. And then, like, when Rachel is tempted to, like, kill Jake, it's like, oh, it's like, this is, like, so bad in, like, such a bad, evil way. It, there's almost like a, we've talked before about how the boys always get, like, the real war books and the uh, girls don't. There's uh-huh. almost like a gendered, like, Rachel wanting to betray the group is, like, a character flaw. But, like, you know, when Marco does it, it's okay because he's, like, his his emotions got the better of him this one time. And anyway, it was the right thing to do and it all worked out, right? Like, it seems like Rachel is not even getting the opportunity to make a rational case for going public. It's, like, couched mm-hmm. in this, like, psychodrama foolishness. Yeah. And it's, like, again... What a waste that one of the final books doesn't confront the war effort in, like, a, a real way. It confronts it in a very surreal way. Yeah. And, like, of course it's going to be a Rachel book, right? Like, mm. they would not they would never waste one of the last, like, Axe books on this or Marco books on this, right? <laughs> I mean, we'll see. We'll to see be fair, how they the wasted one of the last Jake books on the Civil War, so... Yeah, no, I... I don't yeah. know how gendered it... I, I don't know if this part of it is gendered. I mean, everything's gendered, so probably, yes. But this is reminding me of a thing where, like, one of the things that is a valid complaint about some of the, like, big blockbuster action movies we've gotten, like, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all that, is that, like, what's at stake is always, like, a plan to, like, blow up the world. Like, it's always, like, the ultimate stakes. And sometimes that's actually, like, less real feeling and less impactful than, like, mm-hmm. a smaller mm-hmm. conflict would be. So, like, Cryak coming down as, like, this, like, godlike power and being, like, kill Jake and you can become this, like, super hero is like 
so overblown, it's not as compelling as if it had been much smaller betrayal stakes. Because we know she's never going to kill Jake. But she could, much as several of the other, other Animorphs have, like, violate orders in a way that, like, betrays the Animorph's secret, maybe for the best, like, the way Marco's and Axe's decision went. And, but, like, you know, maybe not, who knows. But at least it could be an interesting decision, not an all-or-nothing, you know, mm-hmm. killing Jake versus, like, you know. And I also want to point out that Cassie didn't quite exactly betray the group, but she did disobey orders and then reveal her morphing powers to people in 44. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, no, that, I think that counts. I think that counts. I don't think Tobias betrayed the group in 43. Well, his but... book's up next, so we'll see, we'll see what crap he gets up to. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about the leadership thing is I also kind of like the read where she wants to go public and it doesn't even cross her mind that she can disobey orders. She's like, I have to become leader if I want the group to do the right thing, right? Like that's that I could almost see that working where she's like, Mm. well, I need to actually officially depose Jake so that I can get the right, like she doesn't want to cut the corner. Set up a situation where she felt like she needed to be in charge in order to get what she wanted to have happen, happen. But no, it was just dreams about wanting to be a leader for some reason. Um, Can I complain about Craig for a minute? You just mentioned a godlike figure coming down. First of all, he talks about how this is like one of their these like human video games that you humans love so much. Cryak is also a gamer. I hate this retcon <laughs> that Cryak is not a gamer. Especially anyway. the book after the Elemis Chronicle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, excuse exactly, you. Exactly. So here's Cryak's deal. Cryak has had the Howlers all destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. One book later, he sends the Drode after them. He does this whole Chi thing. It's like super dangerous. And he's like, ooh, this Rachel, this is interesting. This is how I can take down my most hated boy of all time, Jake, I will get his cousin to kill him because she is very aggressive Mm -hmm. and I can tempt her with things. And then he spends, what, 20 books grooming David? (laughs) That's the best he's got? Like, he's supposed to be a a chess master to rival the Elemist, like one of the two great cosmic powers. (laughs) And his best plan is to have a rat hire some teens to lock Rachel in a cage and like angst at her for a little while. Like this is, this is weak. This is a really like, weak plot. Why did he plot. involve David? Right. Yeah, no, 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 it's great because David is her like psychic weak point, right? Like obviously if he wants to get to her. But the actual temptation is here are your superpowers. I will show you how you can use them. You could use them to kill Visser One. That, you will notice, had nothing to do with David. (laughs) I mean, I guess, like, David had made her morph rat, and, like, if she didn't become Super Rachel, she was going to be stuck as a rat, because for some reason she couldn't demorph in the human-sized box. But, like, (laughs) that was just... He could have, you know, trapped her and morphed some other way. I'm sorry, I figured it out. I figured it out. Cryak needed this book to happen, because otherwise Rachel would have successfully ended the war in book 48. So this is Cryak manipulating Whoa. events <gasps> to prolong the war. So we get this crappy book that has been has been created by Cryak because whatever <laughs> would have happened without Cryak's so intervention would have been much worse for Cryak's side. been free to be interacting with the Animorphs and they would have gone public and, and, and stopped the war right away. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. I buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. No, it's terrible. <laughs> oh my god. I anyway, I've lost a lot of respect for Cryak. I briefly had respect for him between the Elmas Chronicles and this book. <laughs> I have a question about 
again his plan, yes. which is in the what he says. And like, listen, I do not think that Cryak is necessarily being like open and upfront with any mm-hmm. with Rachel or with this or one for that matter. But the idea that he has is okay. You guys are going to fight to the death, and then depending on who wins, um, here are the two options. One is if you win, Visser, Earth belongs to you. If my creature, Rachel, wins, you and your band of slugs will leave this planet immediately. Well, he'll be dead, so right, he's not leaving anywhere. So what? How? And if he has the power to make this kind of shit happen, um, doesn't the Elemist also? Like, what is your plan here? Because I've been led to think that there are, like, you are allowed one thing, the Elemist is allowed one thing. If this is your one thing, then what can the Elemist do? Because... He gets to have a thing that he can do to balance this out. This is nonsense. All of it. That is kind of how I feel. I'm like, okay, so Cryak got to do this thing, which didn't really help him at all. Does this mean the Elemist gets to do something? It could be payback for the um, the, the seagull taking down the helicopter in 39. <laughs> oh, no. Not to bring back your now fourth least favorite book. <laughs> Accurate, yes. That yes. one does 39. keep getting bumped up, weirdly. <laughs> It's really disturbing the extent to which that one um, has been bumped up my list. Okay, no, so there are there is evidence of the the rules of the game at play here, which this is actually my okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see if you guys buy this. <laughs> yeah. So, what do we know about the Elmist and Cryak? The way they set things up, there always has to be an out, right? Like it can go one way or the other. Right, like, they're just offering opportunity. Yeah, in seven, right? There was always a way for the Animorphs to escape the bad situations they were in. The Elmist mm-hmm. was never forcing them to die or do something else, right? They just had to be clever enough. So, in this battle, Cryak does something really interesting. Super Rachel blows up the stairs out of the chamber as the minions are fleeing. And the minions fall to the ground, and Cryak saves their lives. He stops them. So my theory is that one of the Elemist conditions going into this scenario is that those two minions be allowed to live. Because after Cryak leaves, Rachel persuades the minions to let her out of the cage. So Mm. that was the Elemist and Cryak leaving Rachel with an escape route. They they weren't going to put her into the situation where she gets trapped as a rat. Mm-hmm. She just had to be clever enough to notice that she could manipulate the minions. All right. I guess sort of, yeah. I do think it's... <laughs> it's Great, like, so unimpressed. <laughs> it's a little bit plausible to me that Cryak would have the ability to, like, evict the Yerks from the planet because the Yerks are, like, his move, right? Like, he wants the Yerks to win as part of his whole thing. The Elemist wants the Yerks to lose, presumably, I guess, we assume. And so the Elemist isn't allowed to just get rid of the Yerks because that would be, like violating Cryak's thing. But because the Elemist wants the Yerks to leave, I'm sure he would let Cryak get rid of them. But I don't know. I didn't quite buy that Cryak would actually do that. Like, is having Rachel worth it to him? Or killing Jake worth it to him? I mean, I think killing Jake might be worth it to him. Because Jake killed the Howlers. Or not killed, but but kind of took them out of their... out of of, uh, commission. And I think as a... Is he that petty? Like, because Jake isn't... I buy no. that he's that petty. I buy that this is that his revenge is trying to get Rachel to take out Jake. I don't know that that's helping him in like his overall game plan, but also like, yeah, fine. Do you think he's really in it for revenge, or is he afraid for the future? Because he doesn't seem like someone to hang around and cry over spilled milk. He seems like someone to be lining up his next moves. I mean, so I wonder if he's afraid of something Jake is going to do. Sure. Or it's the the argument I made back in twenty six is that Jake 
being kind of like traumatized by the falling howler at the end was like cryic trying to get into his head for the future. Mm -hmm. So you could make the same argument with this book in that like, even in failure, the fact that Rachel kills David at the end is going to be trauma she brings with her mm. f- into the future. And that could create future tension between Rachel and Jake or something. You know, like there could yeah. be there could be more pieces to fall out of this. I'm highly skeptical just because of how terribly written and <laughs> this book was. And I remember more than you, Jenny, probably. And certainly I know more than you, Gray, about like whether more shoes drop on these subjects in the future. So I won't speculate yeah. further. But Yeah, yeah fair. Wise. I have a couple of, like, specific lines that, like, I mean, first of all, it was, you know, not really all that subtle that Cryak was going to be involved or that reality was bending, but I was very tickled to notice that David called Jake a sanctimonious killer before Cryak and the Drode showed up, and I was like, that was the Drode's line, the Drode is coming. (laughs) Either that or they forgot that, you know, that was the Drode's line, and it's a weird repetition. So I assume that was an intentional callback. The callback that was meant to be a callback, but I don't think was, was when Rachel's like, yes, as he called me, Rachel of the Dark Heart. And I was like, I don't remember reading that before. Oh, great. I looked in 27, couldn't find the phrase. Like, you know, I like did a search. I looked in Megamorphs 4 because I was like, maybe they interacted there and Rachel remembers it somehow. He never calls her that. Great. I thought I was just, you know, I don't remember a lot of stuff that happens, but that one I did not remember. Where the heck did that come from? It's so weird. Is that just really sloppy editing? I I do have another really sloppy editing thing. Go for it. So I, oh, I should find the full thing. So Gray, I know you already checked off your Ghostwriters Forget Who's Talking thing. I think it was for like lines that just sounded like they didn't belong to the person. Right. But I think I have an argument for this book having a really blatant like, whose dialogue is this? This doesn't make any sense moment. Okay. So this is in, I mean, it is a dream, but it's also like, no. Rachel and Tobias are flying. And Tobias says, asks her if she's okay, and then says, want to talk about it? There was a long pause. Can you talk about it? Paragraph break. I'm not trying to be mean, I said quickly. All I really meant was that I don't want to lay something on you that you can't handle. Which implies to me that Rachel was saying, can you talk about it? And somehow it just was split off from the rest of her dialogue. Oh, yeah. And then I looked in my paper copy and it was the same. So That I doesn't make it, any sense. No, it didn't make any sense. At like, all. It was laid out dialogue-wise as if it were Tobias's line, but it was clearly Rachel's line. So I think you can just extra check that off. Great. I would also, I kind of want to talk about, I mean, granted, this is a dream, so we probably shouldn't take it seriously. I feel like there are some, like, some ways in which Rachel and Tobias are, like, handling their relationship really well and some ways in which they are not. Okay. According to this dream that Cryak gave Rachel. The thing... (laughs) (laughs) Cryak doesn't know for Tobias and Rachel, but go on. It's true. It's true. Okay, so just based on this scene, so maybe not actually really... I really appreciated, actually, Rachel saying, like, actually, do you feel like you're able to talk about this? I don't want to lay something on you that you can't handle. And then Tobias's response was weird. Gee, thanks for knowing me so well. Look, Rachel, I can handle it. What's going on? I'm like, come on, Tobias. Asking for, like, conversational consent is a great practice. Tobias did not say that. Tobias didn't say things like that. But then also when the when like Tobias falls silent in the conversation and like he like breaks off and Rachel's tra- pressing him. She's like, and what? Tobias didn't answer. You said you could handle it. I reminded him. I was like, come on, Rachel. Consent can be withdrawn at any time. 
Anyway, I, point. I feel like Rachel's dream needs to work on its relationship dynamics. I'm with you. Sadly, because there were no actual interactions between Rachel and Tobias. Ooh, not quite true. <laughs> yeah. What do you make of the weird thing where she's like, she takes the trash out and she's like, there's Tobias. I've been feeding him because it's been hard for him in the meadow recently. Uh-oh, I'm going to run back inside. Where she's like really creeped out and disturbed by the idea of like, maybe he is here to like eat this rat or something. Like what? Why are you creeped out, Rachel? You've been feeding him. You understand that he eats rodents. But is, I like, thought it was specifically that she was creeped out that he was eating garbage, which oh, also maybe? didn't make a lot of sense because... It doesn't make a lot of sense. What? No, he doesn't. But it's interestingly, in this book, she, at least in her cryoff dreams, shows more understanding of his decision to stay a bird. She's like, because she had said, like, she doesn't want things to go back to normal. Yeah. And, and she says, like, shortly afterwards, like, Tobias could become a human and like stop morphing, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to go back to the way things were before either. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is some like really nice acceptance. And then she has all this weirdness about like the things that he needs to do to eat and like being squeamish about them or something. It's like, where is this coming from? Yeah, my only um, explanation for that, and it took me retconning after I finished the book, is the foreshadowing of eating garbage as a rat. Mm. Oh, that there are, yeah. you know, the things okay. that you have to do in order to survive are often yeah. not pretty. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know it that it's not sense. justified, really. It makes sense, like, once you've read the whole book. Right. Like, but there's no, like, she would have to have a reason to think that at the time. Exactly. It's not so. It's not really justified, but that was the only explanation I could have. Um, That's a good point. But not, not really a defense of the book, but a right. good point. So speaking of relationship dynamics. I would like to talk about my two very yikes moments that are about Uh Rachel and David. Yeah. Mm. Because as we discussed earlier, David thinks that Rachel was kind of the Rachel and Jake were the masterminds of his downfall. And that is not accurate, but that is, that is his take on it. And his response is not great. And one thing, one way that that comes out, and we, we kind of touched on this earlier, but his exchange with Cryak, so Cryak helps him get off the island. He says, maybe by sending the boat there. I don't know how that worked, but Cryak <laughs> got him off the island, he says, in exchange for what? And here's what David responds. In exchange for a companion. I would have chosen Cassie. She was nice to me when no one else was, but that's why I couldn't choose her after all. I wouldn't condemn her to this living hell. Okay, ew, 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 ew. That is fucked <laughs> up. Because that means that his plan is to not let Rachel and then for the two of them to live together as rats so he has someone to talk to. His most hated person on earth, her most hated person on earth, but hey, at least we're rats and stuck in misery together. And then he emphasizes that point a little bit later when he is kind of coming back to how awful what they did to him was, as we have discussed in the past. And he says to her, she, she's going to get an offletted. And he says, I knew you'd never live up to Cryak's expectations. I knew it would wind up like this because you're not any better than I am, Rachel. If I deserve this psychological, this emotional torture, you deserve it double. Ooh. up. Like <laughs> the whole thing. And I just, I was so appalled and, and horrified by the idea that his plan is 
to have someone else be tortured with him mm-hmm. as both revenge and companionship. No. No, no. No, no, no. Awful. Also, can you imagine a scenario in which Rachel is forced to become a Nothlet at David's hands and as a result decides to hang out with him? Right? Instead of with her five friends who she would be able to talk to because they would understand what was going on with or her. Or her like, Nothleted boyfriend? Out, like, what's but, wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's very David. I mean, that was his plan at the end of... 22, right? He was going to, like... He wanted Rachel oh, to come yeah. team up He's with like, him. No, and... you, yeah, if you weren't such a harsh person. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I mean, yeah, Another... David's, David's characterization in this book is a mess, yeah, right? I don't know why it comes back. <laughs> yucky. Yucky, yucky, yucky. He is yucky, yes, it's true. Um, you... Yeah, because he's like a pawn of Cryak, which is really an unrelated thing, and it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Yes, that is accurate. Um, do you know what else is really gross in this book? Ooh, what? Is it morphing? The morphs! She When she morphs into rat, here's a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. My eyes, uh, so she's morphing into rat. Okay, my eyes, still human, still huge in the rat's small skull. Impossible! Suddenly, the sockets began to shrink faster than the eyeballs, squeezing the eyeballs until I thought they were going to pop. Finally, my <laughs> eyeballs began to shrink. Are you kidding me? That's disgusting. What is wrong with these books? That is one of the worst things I that's totally ever been missed written. That. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is extra disturbing. You are correct. I know. <laughs> so disgusting. I had one thing, which is the way that Rachel talks about how the world is responding to all the weird stuff that's been happening with the Yurks starting to go big, like people talking about the aircraft carrier and people talking about the campers and like there are all these internet rumors and it's a big conspiracy theory, Mm -hmm. but of course we all know it's true. It just, it really reminds me a lot of like the Russian hacking wackiness that we've been a part of Mm. for the past four years of like, Mm. yeah, none of this, this just sounds like a crazy like James Bond movie type thing. And then it turns out like, oh yeah, those weird blog posts we read on the internet were more or less borne out by reporting three years later. So I really would have loved to explore a little bit more the nuance of the words getting out and like normal people don't believe it yet. Maybe we still will. Maybe we still will. Yeah. Yeah, That'd be be an awesome thing for the next book. That part, I really liked that as well, uh, in part because of the sort of internet rumors, conspiracy theories, but mostly because it's been really interesting over the course of 50 books to see the internet become more ubiquitous. Right. Like in the first couple of books, they don't really do a lot on the internet. They don't have, they don't seem to have a ton of access to it. They like look up one thing on the internet and it's kind of a big deal. And now it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, there are message, there are like internet forums and people are talking about this and there are ways that you can get a conspiracy theory out there, which don't seem to have been as ubiquitous at the very beginning of the series, um, which Mm -hmm. it reflects my memory of the late nineties, right. Of like, you ha- there was one computer in the school and like mm-hmm. one person knew how to use it to having a computer lab in 2000 and everyone starting to figure out AIM, you know? Mm-hmm. You guys, I just realized Jake is in this book. Rachel sees him in the hallway at school. And the sequence <laughs> that I think wasn't actually a dream. But I who can tell? I think was influencing her reality, but it seems like it wasn't a dream. Yeah. Anyway, I did actually have a thought about that. So he passes her and Rachel's like feeling all insecure and like troubled because of these dreams and Jake like 
I think she like, I don't know, smiles at Jake or something. He just kind of nods coldly. And she's like, oh, yeah, we have to pretend we don't really know each other at school. But I couldn't help wondering, had Jake's nod been just a little colder than usual? Was there something less than friendly in the way he had walked right past me? And she's sort of like, you know, a little haunted by these thoughts because she's been having these dreams about the other Anborfs hating her and all that. And it did make me think how much like the acceptance and support of the group or the lack of such was what led David to where he was. Like it was Mm. feeling like he wasn't part of the group. And I guess Rachel gets to this point later of like, she's a good guy because she's in this group with the good guys. Like it made me think like how, how important it is that they are there for each other. And like that, that's why they're right. They've still kind of got it together at this Mm -hmm. point. It's because, because they have each other. Yeah. That's a really good point. I wanted to quote, I think it was in the first couple of chapters, Rachel talks about how you can't go home again. And it was exactly the theme that Joy's pointed out in our Elemist Chronicles episode. Hmm. So the quote is, at a certain point, you can't go back to where you started, even if you want to, which I don't. Mm-hmm. Very Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good anti-reset button moment. Mm, yeah. Rachel wouldn't take the reset button, maybe? So there was an interesting, um, when Cryak is tempting Rachel, Cryak says, good and bad are so simple for Cassie. And Rachel thinks like, yes, yes, Cassie always knew right from wrong. So what is she telling you to do, it asks. I didn't know. Would Cassie sacrifice herself to save the entire planet? Yes, without a second thought. Would she sacrifice Jake? I didn't know. Would she sacrifice me to Knocklet status to save Jake? I didn't know that either. And it's really interesting, this idea that like, she thinks that Cassie has a really like, clear like firm moral view in the world but she doesn't understand it like she doesn't know what it is Mm. she can't imagine or extrapolate it i don't think she's totally right i think cassie doesn't always know right from wrong and struggles with it a lot it probably looks different from rachel's perspective than it is inside cassie's head but yeah you get that to some extent when Okay, well, I don't know if this is a dream or not, so maybe you don't get it to some extent, but uh, (laughs) maybe you get it when at the end, Rachel asks Cassie if she would take David back to the island. Yeah, You know, and Cassie says, like, I don't know if I could basically, I don't know if I could deal with that. And, you know, Rachel's thought is, well, you're assuming that I can. But I think it's another sign of kind of Cassie's ambiguity to some degree. She's doing absolutely trying her best and thinking much more about the ethical ramifications of their actions than any of the other ones are. But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that she has a clear sense always of the correct thing to do. It's really interesting. They are kind of opposites. Like Cassie is very internally divided, but appears to the others like she's fairly decisive and, and, you know, moralizing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whereas... Rachel is internally very sure in her convictions, but appears to the others as kind of like, she'll just do whatever it takes and doesn't have, she doesn't have any morals that she lives by, right? Like the others don't see her. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Like coming from a moral point of view. I see that. I was going to say that they're similar in that way, in that externally they seem very sure. Much more sure than they are. But internally they're both very divided often very divided on where they're coming from. Well, right. right. Yeah, I guess you can make the argument both ways with Rachel, but I think that she she has such strong first reactions to things Mm -hmm. that she doesn't doubt herself that much. Yeah. Or when she slows down and doubts herself, like in 43, she really gets upset. (laughs) Mm, Yes. Do we want to talk about Super Rachel at all? 
It was like, I don't know, it was kind of surreal. She was like, she did have the Wolverine claws. No, the best thing about Super Rachel is that she can be whatever she imagines. And when Visser 3 morphs something inconvenient, she's like, what if I was a plant? And then she becomes this awful plant monster with a proboscis that can suck up Visser 3's goo monster. And it's, it's absolutely horrible and like so cool from like a superhero's body horror, shape-shifting perspective. I really like that bit. It, I don't really have anything. There's no analysis to be done of it. No, I, I did, though. I think that was the best thing, where she can morph a plant, and she can morph things that like she doesn't have the DNA of. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the thing in this passage, my only response was to smile at him, give him a look at the rows of shark-like metal teeth in my mouth. <laughs> Rachel and the teeth, everyone. Good um, point. I also, another terrible plot hole is that Visser 1 morphs directly from one monster into another. Yeah, I mean, maybe it was just all because it was like no, hallucination. No, he definitely okay. does. It's just, it's <laughs> bad. It's a terrible plot hole. It's not as bad as the plot hole where Rachel is in a human-sized box but can't do more for agree. no reason. I was so frustrated by that. Like, a lot of my notes in that section are like, yes, okay, what an just interesting demorph. conversation, but just could you demorph. please demorph? Could you demorph. stop talking and demorph? Demorph, please. Demorph right now. The, the <laughs> clock, it's not Cassie. Demorph! And then she didn't, and I was very annoyed. Yeah. I had... The book was ghostwritten by Cryak. Uh, yeah not by david he would have come off looking a lot better Mm -hmm. cryak needs to stop ghostwriting the rachel books i think they would have caught on to this um i did have a couple oh wait before i get to 90s slash oddies moments this line along with cassie tobias is my best friend in the world also kind of my boyfriend the kind with feathers (laughs) what does that mean the boy part or the friend part or the what are you talking about also you're (laughs) clearly together stop lying to me yeah no i think it was like he is actually her boyfriend but just like the kind of was a joke he's the kind of boyfriend that has feathers sure yeah anyway this was not necessarily specifically a 90s slash oddies moment but she is talking about uh how like just for a moment just for the goof what what is that i don't know Imagine a tall, blonde human girl turning into a grizzly bear in an animated Disney version. No doubt the process would look graceful, whimsical, charming even. Let me tell you something. The people at Disney do not know squat about the reality of morphing. Not the people at Nickelodeon or the people at DreamWorks either. I laughed very hard. Is that a diss against the series? <laughs> I think it was I off the air. so. Yeah, this must have been after, because the series was like 98, 99, like maybe into 2000. But this is like... September, October 2000. I would just like to restate the amazing 90s reference that I called out in the summary. Hold on. I want to actually read the passage because it's hilarious. Let's settle it once and for all, Crack murmured. Whoosh! In the blink of an eye, the dungeon-like sewer expanded to the size of a football field. Bleachers lined three of the walls. High up in the stands, I saw the pulsing red mass. Beside it, the drode. Cryak nodded, and the drode threw something out onto the field. It was a ball. The ball hit the ground, bounced slightly, and rolled toward my feet. I bent to pick it up, and reared back when the ball exploded into matter. I found myself eye to eye with Visser 1's Andalite stock eyes. The drode throws a Pokeball, <laughs> and Visser 1 pops out. I love it's it. It's the most 90s thing that I've ever read. So great. Does this mean that Visser 1 can only say Visser 1? Esplan, Esplan. 9466. Head accepted. That's yeah. why he this has is, a thought speak. Really... He can thought speak other things, but right. that's the only thing he can say out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. 
I mean, there was also like a Nick Jr. reference, but yeah. like other than that, there wasn't anything. It's sentimental. It's Nick Jr. I don't like to indulge in anthropomorphism. That did make me laugh. There also was the uh, Rat Man from a Saturday morning cartoon. Now he was Stuart Little, just a harmless little rat, which oh, like... yeah. There was a movie, right? There was. There was a movie. It had Hugh Laurie in it. I that was. That's um, right. The other 90s moment I had was Rachel calls herself, as Super Rachel, a super predator. One word, which is a very 90s reference. Um, I don't think super predator is a actual biological term. As far as I'm aware, it's only used in the context of these young kids on the street these days are the worst that we've ever seen. Hmm. They're super predators, and this is why we're going to pass such harsh, tough-on-crime laws. Oh, um, I've so never it's heard like, that. No? No. No, yeah, that was like the whole Clinton, huh. Clinton like, tough-on-urban-crime thing. Mm. It's like basically otherizing young black men saying that they're, Oof, yeah. they're, you know, inherently predatory and bad. Mm-hmm. So here, I, I, I could be, I guess I should look up whether there's a, it's a term in biology originally, but I'm pretty sure it's a, I think you're right. Wow, I totally missed that. Man, the 90s had some issues. A lot of issues. I mean, granted, we also have, I mean, potentially even more issues now. It's just that, like, the 90s, like, seem... We didn't... I didn't know we had issues. Right, right, right. I was going like, to say, we, were, yeah. back, we have we more issues right. now. It's just yeah. that in the 90s, yeah, yeah. it was a lot right. of, like, the surface looked good, <laughs> but the depths <laughs> were just as fucked up. Yeah, so speaking of terrible, I do think... I think this might be my second least favorite book. I think... Worse than 47. I think it's worse than 47. I don't know. I I know that I'm doing a lot of work to justify the validity of the emotional moments, but the highs in this book make it better than 47. Okay, yeah, yeah. The thing... Yeah, the actual, like, conversation with David, like, that's... Arguably 47 is better written. But I think I think this book forty seven is... doesn't have anything good to offer though. You're right, yeah. and this does at least have a few good things to offer. Okay, it can be third from the bottom, so it's thirty nine, forty eight, forty seven, uh, thirty seven for me. Sorry, Ted. <laughs> I thirty nine is just a different world than these though. We didn't know how good we had it. We did not. I can almost I can almost guarantee that we're through the worst of it. Ah, uh, I hope so. That, how much work <laughs> is almost doing in that sentence? <laughs> There's there's one book to come that I think falls in more of the like light and fluffy okay light and fluffy category akin to like twelve and fourteen but it's not it might be more like forty two where it's like it's not really as funny and then now you also feel the opportunity cost of like why couldn't okay. you do more mm-hmm. so like I'm not actually dreading returning to it it's just not as good as the ones that surround it okay okay All but right. it sounds like we have some good but ones. we don't have but any more every- that are like bottom ten. No, I don't think so. Great, I'll take it. So, do we want to talk, speaking of next books, yeah. about The Diversion? Can I the look diversion. at the inside cover? You can. Uh, it's a Tobias book. New Tobias cover model, whom I do not like because he looks like such a baby. Like, <laughs> such a it's actually little child. It's like actually legit for Tobias to look like a little child, though, because he hasn't been aging at all. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> right? Sure. It's true. Tobias' human morph should no, still it's a look good point. like... Still at 13. You're right. right. I don't like it, but you're right. His hawk is morphing into a German Shepherd. And this is actually one of my least hated cover morphs. Um, Wow. Mostly because the puppy face, you start getting the puppy face like on the second morph, which means it's 
And also I can't see its legs morphing except a little bit in the second one. So the rest is just like a dog with wings and then a dog with no wings. So do you think it's less creepy because it's a bird morphing a dog and like neither of those is very human? Probably. Because like our recent Tobias morphs have all been aliens, aliens, which have been really like gruesome in their own mm-hmm. right or like disturbing in different ways and like... You know, the Andalite has, like, the human face. (laughs) Oh, that's in human morph. morph. (laughs) It's okay to find acts disturbingly handsome in all forms. You should accept that in yourself. But, yeah, we haven't had just a bird bird turning into a different animal in a while, which is just a little bit less... uh, And I think the face, yeah, the faces are often what creep me out the most. Like, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's where the arms are coming from or disappearing to, but often it's just like, why is your face doing that thing? And this one doesn't creep me out because it's a hawk going into a dog face, and that doesn't bother me as much. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, it's called The Diversion. It's a Tobias book. The little cut text on the front is, this war can't go on forever. Will it be us or them? Dot, 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 question mark. And on the inside cover, oh, here we go. The dog is in a grocery store. Is it wearing a mask? It is not wearing a mask. Not, no one oh, is wearing a mask. I know. Very, very shameful. Um, and has knocked over a pile of dog food, I think. And it, some woman who looks like Ava is gesturing at it. Why does she look like Ava? Because she's blonde with the sunglasses. She looks like I imagined spy Ava looking in that one where she came back. Oh, so Ava with her wig. With her wig. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, wig Ava. Spy Ava. Um, I don't think that's her, but that's what I imagined her looking like. Um, Okay, so this is a very unhelpful cut text and title. Tobias is the diversion. He is trying to distract possibly yerks so that the other rest of them can break into the yerk pool maybe that seems like a good reason to cause a diversion why are they breaking into the yerk pool um uh they are trying to blow it up or they're trying to maybe their viscer one now has um a new plot uh for getting out the candronas maybe like the portable candronas or something but yeah, obviously not that because he's already tried that. And he only does things once, but something similar. And the Animorphs have to try to get into the Earth Pool to stop it. So they need a diversion so that they can, like, sneak in the back. And Tobias is the diversion. Nice. And So he becomes a dog in a grocery store? He becomes a dog. He knocks a bunch of, bunch of stuff over. So everybody <laughs> goes to, like, check and see what the dog is doing. And then they can, oh, like, so sneak like right back. it's like a grocery store entrance to the Earth Exactly. Pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean up on aisle three. <laughs> exactly. So do they go public with the war in this book? Um, No. They don't, but okay. they continue to talk about maybe they should. And um, Does Tobias betray the Animorphs, and if so, how? <laughs> Tobias does not, because Tobias would never. Um, nice. Does Tobias have new or repeat feelings about being a bird in this book? I mean, yes, but that's just because it's a Tobias book. <laughs> um, but, like, does, I mean, are, they, are there new feelings about being a bird? Oh, um, How does he feel about being a bird in this book? Uh, he's... I say I actually have no memory of this Oh, okay. Book, so. um, I mean, I think it's 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 like it always has been that, um, you know, he, he is feeling conflicted. He's still happy that he's a bird so he can be part of the fight and continue mm-hmm. to be an anamorph. But also he is sad that he can't be um, Rachel's boyfriend without feathers instead of Rachel's boyfriend with feathers. Yeah, understandable. So you're saying the plan to blow to, is to blow up the Yerk pool? Or stop, or stop a Visser 1 plan 
and um, okay. one of those two things. And yes, so they're still, you think they're still on the defensive? I think they're still on which the defensive. Which is kind of what, what defensive. Jenny was asking. I'm okay. sorry. Yes. Yeah. That's. Are there any other escalations, end of series escalations in this book? What a great question. Cool. I'm also going to ask you about uh, returning characters. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. Intriguing. What happened to Visser too? Uh, Axe pushed him out of the plane. Oops. Okay. Cool. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he has not been mentioned since. Book 46. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I don't know. Um, all right, I didn't have anything special happening in this one, except that um, they were going to, yeah, they're, they're going to continue to fight. Um, so I, no endgame changes to my prediction. All right, sounds good. And returning characters, wait, ask me about the returning characters so it's easier to um, get that in. Who do we see in this book that we haven't seen for a while? Oh, for a while. Um... Okay, I hope it's not Taylor Axe and again. Marco. Axe and Marco. Burn. <laughs> um, <laughs> we saw the we saw dream versions we created saw dream by Cryer. Axe and Dream Marco. We found out I didn't mention this that at least in the dream Marco now has a beanbag chair and Axe's scoop because he's spending so much time there and I love it. That was very good. I still shit Marco with everyone. FYI. Fair enough. Um, Elemist. We got Cryak in this book. Next book, the Elemist comes back. Okay. Nice. All right. We haven't seen him except for Elemist Chronicles, but we haven't seen him interact with the Animorphs for a while. Mm, Does well, he offer them a choice? Yes. Probably. I don't know. What's the choice? Uh, it's going to be something about going public or being able to mm. stay secret. I'm going to. Oh, okay. Nice. I'm going to. I'm going to tease you, Gray. Now that you've given your prediction, if you don't include the Chronicles books, then this isn't a returning character. <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> we'll find out next time. <laughs> On Animorphology. <laughs> the diversion. I can't wait, I um, guess. <laughs> Excellent. Should we you do guys, it? I'm so excited because we're through the two really bad books <laughs> I was writing. The end of the series is, like, coming. I can't guarantee they're all going to be awesome, but they're so <laughs> much better. If you want to find us, we are at Animorphology.com and at Animorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Her mom asks her to kill a bug in the basement, and she's like, Ugh, mom. Was it a bug? Is it, wasn't it? It was a rat. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> See, even in my summary. Okay. <laughs> Delete it. I'm deleting it. No one will know that I screwed up. I'll make a rewind. Now we rewound the tape.